Well, today we're getting back into John's gospel. We're going to be in John chapter 9. What happened in John chapter 8 was we saw Jesus in the temple area, and he made this bold declaration. He said that he is the light of the world. And in chapter 9, we're going to see him declare that again, but not only declare that, he's going to give the clearest miracle that shows, that illustrates that he indeed is the light of the world. So if you would please stand, we're going to read John chapter 9. We're going to cover the entire chapter today, but uh, we're just going to read the first seven verses and then jump down to verse 35. So hear the word of our Lord. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples said to him, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It's not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seen. Down in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. This is the word of God for the people of God, and all God's people said, Praise be to God. You may be seated. God, I do pray that you would open our eyes to the truth that you have for us. Would you speak as you so faithfully do through your word? May it accomplish what you desire, achieve the purpose for which you sent it, and not return void. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first thing we see today is there's this blind beggar in verse uh, one, and it says, as Jesus passed by, in chapter 8, Jesus had been in the temple area. He's apparently leaving the temple. As he walks out, that was a common place for beggars to gather. And it mentions something about this blind beggar. It mentions, and you're going to hear this several times, and it's significant. It mentions that he was born blind. That's significant. In, in this culture, uh, Arnold Fruchenbaum talks about how there are uh, three miracles that the Jews believed only Messiah can do these miracles. No one else comes. So when we see these miracles, these messianic miracles, it has to be Messiah who's done them. One of them was heal a Jewish person of leprosy. Another was cast a demon out of a mute person. And the third was heal a person who had been born blind. So this blind beggar is there, and in verse 2, it says, His disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? His disciples jump right into a a theological question. Their first response isn't, uh, Jesus, uh, should we give him, help him? Should we give him some money? What, What should we do for him? No, they jump right into a, hey, 
who sinned? What caused this? This was a common thought of the day that if someone was suffering, it was the direct result of some sin that that person had done. In fact, when the rabbis met somebody who was suffering, they say, what have you done to bring this suffering upon you? And they also believed that a child could get both the merits and the demerits of their parents. They believed that uh, a child up until age 13, that that child would, uh, would bear the guilt of the father. So here they're, they're trying to figure out, hey, who's, this guy's born blind, did he sin? That doesn't seem possible, did his parents sin? What's going on? It's a theological debate of their day that he's pulling them into. In fact, there was a rabbi uh, around this time who was very well known who abandoned Judaism. He said, I'm walking away from it, I abandoned it, and they attributed that to his mother when she was pregnant with him walking through an idol grove. So this belief was very deep in their, in their culture and in their understanding. And in verse 3, Jesus answered, It's not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus says that this man's suffering is not the result of any specific sin he committed. You see, uh, we, we know that there are times that the consequence of our sin equals in suffering. Our sin, personal sin, will bring suffering. But often, the suffering that we encounter in this life is just the result that sin exists in this world. The fall occurred. This world is broken. Disease, natural disasters happen. People get sick. But here, they're connecting it all. They feel like it's all got to be a direct result. And Jesus says, no, it's neither. And then he gives the reason. He says it's that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now this is one of the most difficult teachings I find in Scripture. It's one that I find a, a, a lot of non-believers struggle with, and that's the idea of suffering. That suffering exists in this world, and people suffer. And it's difficult because we go, not only does God allow that suffering, but God will allow that suffering for his own glory. And, and if you're like me and you struggle with this, and it is, it's a struggle that God allows suffering and that it's, it's used for his glory. If you struggle with it, what we're really struggling with is too low a view of the glory of God and too high a view of our own comfort and our own needs and our own wants. You see, creation it's not primarily about our comfort and our needs and our wants. Creation is about declaring the glory of God Almighty. And truth is, it's hard to understand at times how suffering can have anything to do with God's glory. It's hard to, to trust that God is using suffering for his glory somehow. But if you're a Christian, know this. Your suffering is not without meaning. Your suffering is not without purpose and that God is glorified as he is with us in the midst of our suffering. That God is glorified as he relieves our suffering, whether he relieves it here in this life or whether he relieves it when we're with him in glory. There is one day when suffering will end. And believers can be confident that even though we don't know 
or fully understand why suffering happens, there is a day coming when God will make all that clear. For some, he may give us a glimpse of that in this life, but for much of our suffering, we won't understand why it occurred and how it glorified God until we arrive and are with him in eternity. But Christian, you can have confidence that God is glorified in your life. And Jesus here, he says, this man, he's been born blind for a reason. And we're about to uh, get to see God glorified here in this man. And what's amazing, this man's glorification, God being glorified in this man's life, not only in Jesus' day, but here today. We're talking about this man who was born blind and that Jesus heals. He's glorified here amongst us. And in verse uh, 4 and 5, He says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Again, Jesus second time declares that he is the light of the world. And he says, his end, what he's saying is my end is coming soon. We're just a a few short months from Jesus' crucifixion on the cross at this point in John. And he knows his end is near. And he says, while I'm here, I must do the work of God uh, because the time is coming when I will no longer be here. And in verse 6, having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now, this is an interesting miracle. You know, Jesus typically healed people when he said something to the effect of be healed. He would just speak it and it would happen. But Jesus here, he gets down in the mud, spits in the mud, rolls it and rubs it in the guy's eyes. Hollywood's produced a movie that I think is coming out sometimes this year about the life of Mary Magdalene. And a, a well-known famous actor is playing Jesus. And when it came to this scene... He said, who would do that? And he said it a lot more colorfully than than I'm going to say. Who in their right mind would would, would do this? And he refused to do the scene. And Hollywood and so many praised this man for his interpretation and his understanding and his rewriting of Scripture. But but he, he didn't understand at all what Jesus was doing here. You see, Jesus typically told people to be healed because that's what they needed, was to be healed. If this man had had sight and got a disease and could no longer see, Jesus could just heal it. But this man, he didn't have the ability to see. He was born without it. Sight had never been created in this man. And Jesus has to do the work of creation. See, do you remember when God created something out of mud? of dirt back in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 God takes the mud and he creates man out of the mud and here Jesus the creator Jesus who holds it all together Jesus is going to create sight in this man who's never had it he's got to create so he gets down the mud and rubs mud in this man's eyes he spits and they believe spit was they often called saliva living water You know what else this is? 
This is a real event that happened in time, space, history. This actually happened, but it's also a picture of us. You see, this is who we were. We were blind. We were born blind. We were born dead in our transgressions without hope. We couldn't be awakened to life. We couldn't see. And Jesus comes and he reveals to us who we are, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that I am sinful, that I was sinful at birth, that I, I'm, I'm a sinner, and that my sin, I'm not a good person, I'm a sinner, my sin deserves death, eternal separation from God. But yet a good man, a righteous man, the only righteous man, Jesus Christ, steps in and takes the penalty of my death upon him and dies the death in my place and in all who will trust in, in our place to reconcile us to God. Jesus is the one who opens our eyes to it. I can't open anybody's eyes to salvation. All I can do is herald the word and Jesus is the one who must open your eyes. And that's what he does. He comes and opens the eyes, creates in this man sight. You know, scripture says in 2 Corinthians five seventeen that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. You see, Christian here today, you're, you're not just deciding you're going to believe a, a set of beliefs and check those off. No, Scripture says if you've trusted in Christ, repent of your sin, that you are a new creation. Now, you may still drag around this same body that's fallen apart, this body of death. We'll get new bodies one day, but we are a new creation, and that's what Jesus does here. He creates this man's eyes, and he tells him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. It means scent. It's like saying, go and wash in the pool of the Messiah, trust the Messiah, go down there. And this blind beggar with mud in his eyes would have had to walk over a mile from the top of the Temple Mount down to the pool of Siloam. And he walks down there. And can you imagine? He washes. And this man who's never seen, he's never seen. And all of a sudden he can see things for the first time. And he, he goes to his neighborhood and he, he sees his friends and he's like, I can see. And he's celebrating and thrilled. And everybody's thinking, what, what's going on here? See, this is what we look like. A Christian whose eyes are opened. We were living for the things of this world, focused on this earth. And, and we look up and we go, wait a minute. Jesus came to reconcile me, to save me. He called me to life far greater than what I'm focused on. And we can see. And we get to go and herald that we have sight. And in verse 8, it says, The neighbors who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, It is he. And others said, No. But he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. Think about this. These were his friends, his neighbors. And they're looking at him going, uh, that's, That looks like the beggar. But he's never been able to look at me in the face. I've never seen his countenance like this. He can engage. He can look at me. He, he's different. And they're debating, is it him? And he goes, it's me. Again, that's what a Christian looks like. Once living for the things of this world, once focused on worldliness and finding all their joy and satisfaction in an empty, dry well that'll never satisfy. And all of a sudden, their eyes are open to Christ. And we see, and we go, I can see now. And our countenance, we're different. We're transformed. We're a new creation, and that's what's happened to this man. So in verse 10, they said to him, and he's going to get a lot of questions, this blind beggar. 
a whole lot of questions throughout this. Then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. This man gives a simple testimony of what happened. You see, our faith is a personal thing. We have a personal relationship with God. Yet there's a community aspect, and it's also very public. It's a public thing that we're a Christian. It's not something we look to go and hide. That's why one of the reasons when we become a Christian that we publicly profess in baptism, we're saying, I'm different, I'm a new creation. The old person is dead, the new person's alive. And that's what this man's testifying. Hey, Jesus, he opened my eyes. I can see. Let me ask you, do what the Christian do? Those around you, in your neighborhood, those at your school, those at the places you work, do they know that you're a follower of Christ? That you're a new creation? Do they know you're a Christian? If they were to find out where you're a Christian, would they say, yeah, that makes sense, yes. There's something different about them. This man came back different. And everyone could see it. He had been changed, this blind, blind beggar. And in verse 12, they said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. They, they want to know where Jesus is now. We want to see him. But he said, I don't know where Jesus is. And we're not going to see Jesus again to verse 35. What we're going to get today is a whole bunch of people asking, who is Jesus? What do we believe in? Him. How, what do we make of Jesus? And we're going to see different responses. And these are a lot of the responses we see people today. This blind beggar. And notice, notice his condition. Lowly blind beggar. You don't approach Christ arrogantly. Hey, God, God you, you, you really needed me. We come as a beggar. God, I've, I've tried everything. Nothing, nothing will bring hope, nothing will bring satisfaction. It's only Christ, his only place to go. We're a blind beggar, and he opens our eyes, and this blind beggar comes. And now, now the neighbors, they're looking at this going, hey, maybe this blind beggar, he was born blind. Could the man who opened his eyes, Jesus, could he be Messiah? Let's go get the Pharisees, see what they say. And in verse 13, they brought him to the Pharisee. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly blind. Verse 14. Now, it was Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud in my eyes. I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is, is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. Again, we see that Jesus brings division over and over again. These religious leaders, these Pharisees, their first response to Jesus is to disqualify him. They look and they go, he did this on Sabbath? You, you can't do these works on Sabbath. You see, in the Old Testament, there were 613 commandments or rules that uh, God gave Moses that Moses gave to the people and these were so that the people could live uh, how God had called them to live in the fullness of what he called them to both as individuals and as a community it also revealed to them their sinfulness 
But over the centuries, they added more and more and more laws. And by the time you get to Jesus' day, there are over 10,000 additional rules and laws added, and they called these the traditions of the elders. Jesus has just broken one of those traditions of the elders on the Sabbath. They had that you couldn't work on the Sabbath, and they had defined 39 different categories of work. One of the categories of work you couldn't do was kneading, like you know you would knead dough or you you would knead uh, clay or something. Well, Jesus had just kneaded some mud. Another thing that they said you couldn't do on Sabbath was anoint a person's eyes, and he anoints a blind man's eyes. A, A third thing they said that you couldn't do on Sabbath was heal a person or give them medical attention unless they were about to die. And Jesus had just broken three of their traditions, and they're looking going, how can he do that? He must be a sinner because he's breaking our rules. But some are going, well, he healed a man born blind. So there's division. Everybody's trying to figure out who he is. Let me ask you, do, as you look at this, may I think that sounds ridiculous. Do we ever have rules that keep us from really seeing and trusting God? Rules where we go, hey God, if, if, if you're really a good God, why is there injustice in this world? Why do children suffer? Why is there starvation? Why is there human trafficking? God, if, if you really loved me, why is my life difficult? Why is my marriage struggling? Yeah, God, if you love me, why haven't you let us have children yet? Or why haven't you let me get married yet? All these things. And we start to take our rules and say, if this is, this is what we want and God isn't delivering, doesn't mean our rules. He doesn't fit. That's what they're doing. He doesn't fit who they think God should be. They're expecting something else. So in verse 17, they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? Now, now, this is this is comical. This is an illiterate blind man, formerly blind man there, and these are the religious elite who've studied, who know the word of God, and they're finally just going, "Well, tell us who did, who is he?" And this blind man, I can imagine he had held on to uh, scriptures like Isaiah twenty nine, Isaiah thirty five, Isaiah forty two that talk about a prophet who will open the eyes of a blind of the blind, and he goes. He's got to be at least a prophet. He opened my eyes. He's a prophet. <clears throat> and this guy now, he's given testimony not only to his neighbors, he's given testimony to the establishment of that day, to the religious leadership. And in verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called his pa- the parents of the man who had received sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he see? Now they're going to look and say, hey, this, this guy wasn't really blind. He probably made it up. Let's call his parents in and figure out. We've got to discredit this. And people look and go, Jesus walked on water. Nobody does that. Born, born of a virgin? No. Raise somebody from the dead. That, 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 that didn't happen. We, we look to discredit instead of trusting and believing. And they go and ask his parents, and his parents' response is interesting. In verse 20, his parents answered, 
We know that he's our son and he was born blind. So he started off, we'll give you a couple facts. Our son, born blind. But now they start to step back off the question. But we do not know how, we didn't, but how he sees now we don't know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. Now, we hear these parents and it sounds like if you confess Jesus Christ, you'll be cast out of the synagogue. And let me tell you what that means. The synagogue in this culture, it was like your community center. And it was your town hall. And it was the place where you sent your children to be educated. And it was the place where you worshipped. The entire culture, the entire city, the entire community was all about the synagogue. In fact, to punish someone, they might cast them out of the synagogue for a day or a week. But to be cast out permanently, that was extreme. You'd have to go live with the Gentiles. So his parents, they have a great fear. A fear of man. Which I think most of us would like to say we don't fear man, but when we're honest with ourselves, people's opinions, thoughts, dominate. Fear of man is powerful. And they have a fear of man here. They fear man more than God. What it is is we make man big, and when we make man big, we make God really small. And that's what they're doing. Rather than be obedient and trust God they're cowering in fear of being cast out of what the culture will put upon them if they don't play by the rules so they just say ask him we're not going to engage to ask him he, he's old enough he can, he can answer for himself so now in verse 24 they go back to this man for a second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, though, I was blind and now I see. Now this is the testimony of a Christian. I, I don't understand it. I can't fully explain to you all, all the nuances of what happened in my life. I maybe can't give you every apologetic that you might want, but here's what I can tell you. I was blind and now I see. I thought all the things of this world would satisfy. I was only living for this life, but now I see that this life is empty and that I'm a helpless sinner and that Jesus has made a way for me to be with God and I trust him. I was blind, but now I see. And that's the beautiful testimony that this man gives is the testimony that prayerfully I pray that you give as well. But you're blind and now you see. Now they hear this and now they just want to get rid of Jesus they've sought to find ways to discredit say that this didn't really happen he breaks the Sabbath and now in verse 26 they said to him what did he do to you how did he open your eyes and he answered I've told you already and you would not listen why do you want to hear it again do you want to be his disciples He's like, well, why do y'all want to keep hearing this story? Are you, are you wanting to, to follow him too? What, what, what's going on? And they did not like this. Their goal is not to follow Jesus. Their goal is to discredit him, to remove him, to kill him. 
And in verse 26, they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciple of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. They revile him. They begin to hate this man who is bringing testimony about Jesus. They're anger at him. They want to remove him now because he brings testimony of who Jesus is. Does our world operate this way? Hey, you, you testify to Jesus? Well, we don't want that. That's not on the social agenda of our worldly culture. Hey, we don't follow Jesus. We follow something better. We follow Moses. We don't, we don't follow Jesus. We don't follow the Bible. We don't, we don't follow that book. We, we, we dismiss it. We follow the enlightened social and secular agenda of our day. That's redefining what, 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 what marriage is and gender is and everything else. That's what we follow. We're enlightened. You're, you're following some old ancient book. We're going to cast you out. We're going to remove you. And here, now you're saying we follow Moses, but we don't know where this man comes from. And in verse 30, the man answered. Now listen, the, the beggar's going to give some solid uh, uh, truth here to them. He says, why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God, he does uh, his will. God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard of anyone who opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. This blind beggar here starts to give testimony of who Jesus is. God's not going to listen to this guy if he's a sinner. He, if he's listening to him, he must do the will of God. No one's ever heard of a blind man's eyes being opened. And yet you're rejecting God sending a clear calling card that Jesus is Messiah. You ever wonder why after Jesus does a miracle so often they'll be like, go tell it to the religious leaders first. Because of these clear signs that Jesus is Messiah, yet the religious leadership is rejecting the evidence right before them. You see, Christian, our job is to be like this blind beggar. We're blind beggars who herald the gospel, tell the truth. But we can't make anybody receive it. Only Jesus can open the eyes of the blind. Only Jesus can awaken the dead to life. At this, in verse 34, they answered him, You were born in utter sin, and you would teach us. And they cast him out. Notice, they say this man is, is, born, is a born sinner. But they don't recognize that they're in the same spot. That they're born sinners. They look at this man and go, you're a blind beggar. But they don't realize that they're a blind beggar. In need of having their eyes opened spiritually. And they cast him out. They kick him out of the synagogue. He's cast out. And it's at this that we see the good shepherd, Jesus, come back on the scene and look for this blind beggar. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out and found, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said, You have seen him, and it is he who you are speaking. 
This man's acknowledged that Jesus is a prophet. But now he's going to say that he's the Messiah, that he is God Almighty, that he is where his hope lies, is in Christ. And he comes, and look at this man's response. In verse 38, he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. This is the response of the dead coming to life. This is the response of the blind seeing. Lord, I believe. I I acknowledge I'm sinful and I believe that Jesus has made a way. He's taken the price of my sin and I can be reconciled through trusting him. And I worship Jesus. This is the first man in scripture to worship Jesus. This blind beggar. His eyes are open. He can see clearly. And he worships Jesus. Let me ask you if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus or maybe you're trying to process where you are in your, in your uh, walk with Christ. Have your eyes been open? Do you look and say, I'm a new creation. God has transformed me. He's renewed me. I've trusted him. Jesus wants to open your eyes. I can't do it. All I can do is be like one blind beggar telling another blind beggar where to get bread. Go to Jesus. Trust him. He'll open your eyes. He'll show you your your helpless position and he'll show you that you can be reconciled to God Almighty through Christ. It takes humility to admit that. That's why we come like a beggar. The Pharisees weren't about to come that way. We approach God admitting, confessing we cannot see. I was in Alaska a couple summers ago, and we had a a team of about four, we had a big team, but we had about four or five vehicles all traveling down in a caravan. And the the guy in the lead car had been there before, and every time he would see an animal, he would pull off the side of the road and go, hey, do you see that? moose do you see this and finally we all been wanting to see a bald eagle that's like see a bald eagle in the wild it's just a really neat thing and finally he pulls over and he goes there's a bald eagle up in that tree and everybody on our team gets out and a few see it quickly but many are just sitting there going i don't see it and he's trying to show us and we can tell he's not leaving until everybody's seen it so i'm hanging out there and there's, there's one guy beside me and he goes i see it and i look at him and I go i can't see it where is it? And he just smiles at me and goes, I don't know. I just want to keep going. <laughs> he couldn't confess that he didn't see it. It takes a lot of humility to say, I can't see. I'm blind. That I'm not a new creation. God hasn't worked in my life. Only he can open your eyes. And Christian, for you here today, Do you walk around with your eyes closed at times? Oh, your eyes have been opened, but you just choose to close them to the sin in your life. You've been told that it's destructive and it keeps you from experiencing Christ, but you'd rather just keep on, keep eyes closed and keep walking on in that sin. Jesus has so much more for you. Open your eyes, trust him, walk in the light. And some of you here, you're fighting the good fight. You're seeking to battle sin, but there may be blind spots in your life that you can't see, and that's what a blind spot is. You, you can't see it. You need help to see it. I would encourage and challenge you. Find somebody you know well. 
a spouse, a parent, maybe a child, maybe a roommate, and ask them, are there areas of sin in my life that you think I'm blind to? Now that takes some boldness to ask that question. But if we really want to walk in the light as Christ has called us to, we'll say, hey, if I'm blind to some sin in my life, please show me so I can confess it and run to Christ and experience the fullness that he has for me. See, Jesus promises to give sight. He'll give sight to all who will come and say, I'm a blind beggar, dead in my transgressions, born blind, and I need you to open my eyes, Jesus. If that's you, when we take communion in a minute, we'd invite you to come talk to somebody on our ministry team. Maybe if you're wondering if that's you or you're, you just want somebody to walk with you as, as you're continuing to process what God is doing in your life, we would love to walk with you. If you're here today and you're a Christian and you trusted Christ and we're about to celebrate communion. And communion is a weekly reminder that we do here that Jesus' blood and body were spilled and broken for us. And it's a time for us to look at our lives and say, is there sin in my life that I need to confess? Not so that I'm saved, I'm already saved, my eyes are already open, but I need to confess it so I can walk in the fullness that Christ calls me to. Maybe you need to confess it to somebody next to you. Maybe you need to confess it to a spouse or a friend or tell somebody, hey, I've sinned against you, and then come take communion at another time. As we celebrate communion, if you need to pray with somebody, there'll be some of our leadership team up here with you. We'd love to pray for you and pray with you. My prayer for us is that we recognize that all of us are blind beggars. Some of us have just had our eyes opened by Jesus. He's made us a new creation. And we can celebrate that. Let's pray. God, I do thank you. Thank you that you open the eyes of the blind. Lord, I was once blind. But now only by your grace can I see you and see the truth of who you are. Lord, that's the story of every Christian in here. We once were blind and now see. And Lord, I pray if there's any here today that don't, haven't opened their eyes, they're, they're blind and they can't open them, they need you to come and give them sight. They don't have the ability to see, they need you to create it in them. Lord, would you do that work? Would you open their eyes? I pray that they'd be humble enough and come and confess that. And that you lost the great joy of getting to walk with them as you Show them how to walk with sight. And Lord, there, among the saints, among the Christians here, we confess that there are times we intentionally are blind to our sin. We want to be blind and ignore the sin and the damages that it does to our walk and our relationship with you and our life. And Lord, we confess that there is sin that we are blind to and we don't know it. We pray that you, by your mercy and grace, would reveal it to us and that we'd have the boldness to confess it and to trust you. Lord, we thank you for the table where we get to celebrate the finished work of Jesus on the cross to reconcile us to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.